episode 23 of the Bearded Carcast coming to you from Sweet Nine at BB&T Ballpark in beautiful Uptown Charlotte. It is a perfect day. Too bad the Knights aren't home. They're not home, but they will be home on Friday. Depending on when you're listening to this, they could be home already. I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman. This is the Bearded Carcast, and we're welcoming in for the first time our good friend Eric Spanberg from the Charlotte Business Journal. And we understand he likes podcasts. <laughs> I do like podcasts. By the way, this is the only way I can get in a suite is if I do something nice. like this. So, yeah, it's, it's good to be here. That's well, good because the pay isn't too good. <laughs> well, you know, Eric just obviously did a story on the, the Sports Business Journal on podcasts. So it's it's apt that we have them. And it was in, it was complete coincidence because we booked this before that article came out. I listened to the Tony Kornheiser Show podcast every day and was listening to it on the way here today. I am beginning to think, based on your article primarily, that he might be making a small fortune. <laughs> yeah, for all the self-deprecating humor, it sounds like he's doing just fine between the restaurant and the ads and everything else. He was one of the people I spoke to for this story, and it is interesting just the way podcasts are proliferating. I'm not telling you anything that you don't yeah. know, that you're not living, but for me, it was kind of fun to peel it back a little bit and see what some of the big players and smaller players are doing. It's a podcast about podcasts. So what did you learn? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I learned is that, you know, for all the growth of podcasts and sports, most people in the industry think there is a tremendous amount of additional growth to come. And it was funny, one of the analysts of the industry told me that sports and business are really the two areas where it's lagging. And that was convenient for me since I was yeah. writing for the Sports Business Journal. But <laughs> so I, I think, obviously, you're going to see more of these things because the get-in cost is very low. And I also think, though, you're going to start to see consolidation because the big media companies are obviously well aware of what's going on. They're trying to pick up any unique talent they sure. can find. So this is probably the last time you'll have me on because you're going to be part of ESPN <laughs> or whatever in a few weeks. So it was and, nice meeting you. And the business model we don't forget is our friends. <laughs> oh, thank you. they're making enough money off those little 15, 20-second readers that it, it's worthwhile. Yeah. Now, you know, there are great variances in terms of podcasts, even sort of brand name podcasts. So, someone like Bill Simmons has really got the formula down. He's doing very well revenue wise. You know, some of the maybe lower tier shows on an ESPN or a ringer or another network may not be doing that great, but at least they can usually do a break even kind of thing. And remember, companies are looking at the larger companies are looking at several things. They're looking at obviously the bottom line, they're looking at potential growth, and then they're looking at all the crossover. Uh, Barstool is a great example of that. Not only do they sell a lot of ads that, that the guys read, but also they create sort of instant merchandise and they sell that. And then the final piece of this that I think is really interesting is you're seeing podcasts in sports and elsewhere where they take the show on the road. And so you sell tickets and people show up. And so, again, I look forward to seeing you both at Madison Square Garden. I'll be in the back row. I was going to say, that's our vertical. Maybe we get like a 16-passenger van. Because <laughs> <laughs> normally the Bearded Carcast is on the road when Dave and I are going to a, a basketball game. Yeah, I mean, we could try to sell tickets, and then yeah. there'd still be the three of us sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd need somebody driving. <laughs> Indeed. So – if someone did, if Mike and I did, or you did, or, or someone in this area did a Charlotte podcast, and I presume there are some of those things going on, maybe not specifically sports-focused, is there reason to believe that would be anything more than, you know, reasonably successful? 
Well, you know, this is, is kind of a squishy answer, but it all depends how many people care, how many people right. are interested, how many downloads do you get. And it's, you know, it, it's while it's a new technology or newish technology, it's really not that different than radio or TV or anything else that sure. we talk about, which is, you know, how many people are paying attention because people aren't selling it on a per episode basis. In other words, you know, you're not paying 99 cents to listen to Tony Kornheiser. It's all about mass advertising or niche mass advertising to coin a dreadful term. So if you're getting a big enough audience, then people are going to start to come to you and say, hey, I'd like to have their ears for an hour or 45 minutes. And this is more accountable because you can uh, you can track who's or how many people are listening by how many people are clicking on the stream. So it's a little bit different than radio, which is sometimes you don't know, um, you know, even with the, the personal people meters, it still not doesn't give you, I think, an accurate sense of who's actually listening. Yeah, you know, advertising and sponsorship, uh, w- with every aspect that I've ever covered, there's always debate and argument. You're right. You can figure out the downloads and the streams, but there is a lot of consternation in the industry right now about, okay, so how do I know how much of the podcast they're listening right, to right, and right. who's measuring, how are they measuring? But right. again, those things are going to begin to be sorted out as you get more big players in there. Obviously, Nielsen is involved in other big companies. So I think it is certainly something that is not a fad. It's not going away. Uh, of course, if I said otherwise, you'd hit me. So besides the Bearded Carcast, what other podcasts do you listen to? <laughs> you know, there, there's so much that I need to sort through with the Bearded Carcast. It, it, it's so deep that I have yes, to go back and listen over and over and over I mean, over there's again. 22 previous episodes. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, when I'm not doing that, uh, let's see, podcast. You know, I, I do listen to Bill Simmons from time to I, I'm all over the place. Bill Simmons, uh, a lot of the NPR stuff. Uh, I'm a political nerd, so I listen to some mm-hmm. of that stuff uh, every now and then. WTF with Mark Marin. Uh, I find that with podcasts, it's like I go in little streaks. Then I get maybe tired of that, and right. I hop to something else. But it's the on-demand factor. It's like everything else in our yes. lives. I mean, yeah. you know, I can walk down the street and I can listen and then I can pick it up when I want to. I, I like the Richard Deitch uh, yes. sports media podcast. That's kind of right up my I alley. I like it too, except I don't like Richard Deitch. <laughs> <laughs> the content is great. I just don't like him. So there you go. So and. Does that make you listen less, you think? or do you Yeah, when he has a guest on that I'm interested in, like Vern yeah. Lundquist, I love to hear Vern yeah. Lundquist tell stories, but I think he comes off as very smarmy, very and, know-it-all, kind of like the bearded car cast. <laughs> <laughs> and what's, what's interesting about that is, you know, when you talk to analysts, they tend to say that the guests don't matter as much with podcasts, that people become comfortable with the host. Oh, man, that, so, gi- that gives us a tough shot at this. <laughs> no, I was about to say, so the good thing is I can't ruin this for you. They already <laughs> like you. Uh, but but I'm a little mixed on that opinion because I agree with you. Sometimes there are podcasts where I don't necessarily love the host, but if the guest is the right person, then I'm going to go ahead and spend 45 minutes or whatever it is. So, but I, I have been uh, I have become hooked on these things. I, I just love to go through iTunes and figure out yeah. you know what's of interest. And, and you can subscribe to the Bearded Carcast on iTunes, and you should. <laughs> and you can follow us on Twitter at Bearded Carcast. <laughs> and we don't have merchandise Not yet. yet. As I look at this Charlotte Knights jersey here in the suite, and the Knights have great imaging and a great name, a logo that you kind of want to wear and see. I'm trying to think if we could create something that looked like us that wasn't so ugly that someone might actually wear it. (laughs) This is the value of the caricature. Right. See? Right. Yeah, we need to get one of those... uh 
those guys on the side of the street to drop a logo for us, a caricature. <laughs> and, I, you know, the other thing, just in terms of personal podcasts, I, I think one of the things that's really appealing is the fact that if there is a radio show that you like, uh, you know, you can zip through. A lot of them do what best of. It's 45 minutes where yeah. compared to four hours, and you're, you're getting the prime stuff, right. and then you go on with your day. It's our bearded car cast from BB&T Ballpark in Uptown Charlotte, joined by Eric Spanberg from the Charlotte Business Journal. Sports is at least a portion, maybe a large portion of what he writes about, and there are a lot of sports stories in this town right now. I think the most newsy, the thing that's out there right at this second, is the news about NASCAR this week. Absolutely. I've been reporting on that this week, trying to figure out exactly what's going on here. From talking to a lot of people who are in the sport or follow the sport closely, most of them don't seem to be really that surprised that the France family is looking at selling NASCAR, possibly. There is some back and forth about whether a sale of the sanctioning body would include International Speedway, which both of you probably know is the publicly traded speedway operator that is also controlled by the France family. So... What most people seem to think is that it would likely be a a media company or some sort of venture company that could then use this as content. So you you control the races, you control the league, and of course that leads into the television and the streaming. Yeah. And, all and you that get stuff. to change the rules whenever you want. <laughs> well, yeah, I think they already had that piece, right? right. Yeah, no, but someone coming in could do that. <laughs> oh too. yeah, absolutely, yeah, the, now, absolutely. If you're a buy low, sell high guy, NASCAR's peak has come, come has gone, it not? Right? Yeah. I mean, really, 2005, 2007 was the peak, and, and it's been pretty ugly what since happened? then. What happened? You know, there are all kinds of theories. I, I think it's a combination of things. You, you had, uh, most recently, you've had a number of the big stars leave the sport, Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr. But, but even before that, I, I think that the sport got bloated because the popularity was running high in the 90s into the early 2000s. The tracks were way overbuilt, which they've been tearing out tens of thousands of seats. Uh, I think that uh, the season has been too long forever, and that caught up with them. And then the actual length of the races. So those are just a few of the things. And uh, one thing, you know, two things that can't be overlooked. Uh, When I moved here back in the mid-90s, which is when it started booming, and I knew nothing about NASCAR, I do remember that in the Charlotte Observer and elsewhere, there were all these letters and debates about, I'm a Ford guy, and I'm a Chevy guy, and that's all gone. Nobody even knows what the car make is. And the second thing is you don't have those season-long sponsorships. You used to be able to flip on, even if you didn't care about NASCAR, you flip on the TV, you see the DuPont, and you know that's Jeff Gordon. You see the Lowe's, that's Jimmy Johnson, so on and so forth. You don't have that anymore. Now they slice and dice and they change every week. And so I think all of those things have really hurt NASCAR in the last decade. So if you're an investor, is there something that lets you believe that you're going to get it at a price that it's going to go back up? Well, I think you start with what is the price? So where where are we starting the conversation? Uh, How realistic is the France family, is Goldman Sachs, who apparently has been hired by the the France family? So where does the discussion begin? Uh, But then when you flip it around, you know, if you're getting, let's assume you're getting a league and you're getting the operator of 
the majority of venues, so you're getting the most important dates, and it would be easy to then step out and consolidate Speedway Motorsports, that kind of thing. Uh, that could be a really good bargain because, look, you can't just go out and sort of start a sports league that's established. Even with all the problems NASCAR has, there's a lot of potential with that. So I think there will be some people out there interested. Of course, again, we're all assuming that yeah. this is, in fact, a serious conversation, but it certainly seems to be. And how much of this, Eric, is, you know, the, the France family, obviously, you know, there has been turnover within the family, obviously, from Bill France to, you know, now where we are. But there could be an element of maybe selling the team is good for the sport because maybe new blood, new ideas, maybe reinvigorates fans. Absolutely. I heard a lot of that. Uh, I, I talked to people like Larry McReynolds, who's uh, on Fox, Humpy Wheeler, who a lot of people remember used to be at Speedway Motorsports, Ray Everham, uh, who's been on television and used to be a team owner, and some, some other people. And almost all of them said that exact same thing. They would either say that maybe the France family is not as engaged, or they would say, look, kudos to the France family and what they've done, but every business needs to go into, uh, needs to have some fresh blood. And one of the things they compared it to, which is a, a really apt comparison, I think, is Formula One. Liberty Media Group bought Formula One in 2017. Formula One, international racing circuit, family-owned business in essence, Bernie Ecclestone. Uh, very similar, and of course Liberty Media is involved in all kinds of sports and entertainment yeah. media. So there are a lot of parallels there, and I do think that people in the sport, uh, perhaps because they have to in a, in a sense, but, but also they seem to be uh, enthused by the idea of, hey, look, maybe you bring in a big company that's got a lot of resources and they can really put a fresh charge into NASCAR. Eric Spanberg from the Charlotte Business Journal is joining us on our Bearded Carcast. If you would like to be a part, we'd love to hear from you. Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com or find us on Twitter at Bearded Carcast. The sale or prospective sale of NASCAR, a major topic. The Panthers sale has been something we've been talking about and thinking about for several months now. It appears they're getting close. Yeah, it appears they're getting close. It's taken a little longer than I think a lot of people expected it to take. As I'm sure both of you know, the spring NFL meetings are coming up mm -hmm. in Atlanta starting uh, May 21st. The hope has been that the owners could vote on the Panthers buyer at that meeting. I don't know if that's going to happen. There's a lot of opinion both ways on whether the deal will get done that soon. But I do think certainly by training camp, uh, you're going to have a new owner of the Panthers and, you know, this – feels like it's dragged on forever. It started in December, but we've been talking about it so much that I think everyone's exhausted and ready to see, okay, who's the next owner? Do you have a feel, like a gut feeling on who, which which group? Because apparently it's down to, basically down to three groups, right? Yeah, it's basically down to three groups. Uh, the most obvious winner would be David Tepper, the hedge fund billionaire, right. uh, who is a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and for two reasons. One is, since he's a minority owner of the Steelers, he's already been vetted. He's already by the known league. by the league. Right. Yeah. He's a known entity. The second thing is, he by far has the most money. He's worth about $11 billion. So it is merely writing a check for him. Uh, ben Navarro, the uh, Charleston uh, executive who started the financial services company, uh, you know, he's got money relative to you and me and a lot of other people, but not at the level of David Tepper. Same thing with Alan Kestenbaum, uh, who made a lot of his money in steel and mining and metals. So 
all things equal, David Tepper would be the favorite. The sticking point here, as you've seen and has been reported, is David Tepper apparently has a, a lower price that he's willing right. to go to than the other two gentlemen. And I think the question then is, okay, would Jerry Richardson and his bankers, would they split the difference? Uh, is Why there... would Jerry Richardson not sell to whoever offers the most amount of money? Well, because it gets more complicated and remember, the NFL itself, while Jerry Richardson controls the sale, the NFL itself wants to be sure that the next owner is not leveraged to the point that they can't be effective as an owner. So, Like a uh, Miami Marlins type of situation. Right. That's not how you want to sort of yeah. <laughs> unveil. But, but, but regardless of what the NFL wants, no, but they have to make Jerry sure that Richardson they can pay. owns the team. Yeah. Jer- Jerry ultimately uh, holds the most cards. Uh, and, and has, but he also wants to make sure that the group says that if they can right. pay two point five, that they can put the two point five up. So yeah. I mean, the, the, there's kind of a cross purpose there. there. There's a cross purpose, and also, and this is something that's really impossible to know unless you're Jerry Richardson, which is, you know, when you get into things like legacy and future of the franchise. How much does that factor in? Yeah. I mean, of course, everyone, anyone would say, well, yeah, I want it to be successful, blah blah blah. But how does that factor into? Are you willing to accept? $100 million less. I mean, we're talking about serious money here. So right. I, I think those are the things that are being sorted out, but it's just really hard from the outside to tell how that ultimate determination will be made. Now, Whoever doesn't get the winning bid, though, the, the bearded carcass is available. It is available. <laughs> and it is, um, we, would, we, would, we would be willing to negotiate. Yeah. We, we, yeah. I mean, There's we, some wiggle room there. Yeah. We, we'd get our representation yes. to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can recommend... Goldman Sachs, I think. Right? Yeah, I was going to recommend some investment bankers for you to make Morgan sure that Stanley, you know, everything somebody, yeah. works out. You can yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah. You yeah. want good people on your side. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, there was no local, um, or at least on the big picture side, local involvement. Felix Abadis had kind of had a group together, but they said about $1.7 million, it got a little bit too, too billion. much. Two billion, excuse yeah. me, one point seven billion. It got a little bit too much for them. One point seven million, I think, is the bearded car cast. Exactly, that's right. One point seven billion. I'd be willing to go down to one five, one six, but but I but it has to be the right, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have my VIC card on my keychain. I always <laughs> feel like that, that would help me, uh, right? Felix Sabatis this week uh, speaking to him. That that was one of the things that. Uh, stuck out to me he's obviously been speaking to all of us throughout this whole process but the 1.7 billion dollar number i thought was interesting that that was kind of the breaking point for them uh, because the franchise is valued at 2.3 billion dollars by forbes and usually those numbers are pretty safe so uh, he remains convinced that you have to have a new stadium and of course as soon as we have a new owner that argument or that conversation will instantly kick into overdrive, and at minimum, I think you're going to see more upgrades to the stadium over the next few Why years. Why do they need a new stadium? The argument of a new stadium is simply that by having the restaurants, the clubs, all those add-ons uh, that you obviously can charge more money, then you get a better return. Uh, I mean, define need, <laughs> first well, uh, of all. Well, I, I just feel <laughs> No, because the, the stadium comes as part of the, the deal. Yes, it does come as part of the deal, but let's back up for a minute. If you're David Tepper and you just write the check and you're not really borrowing any money, then your long-term perspective is probably much more generous. Potentially, assuming these reports are right, about the other two bidders, if they are more leveraged, if they feel mm. as though they're under more financial pressure, they're looking for a return sooner. Right. And they're you looking pay down for some a, of their debt. Right. And they're looking for a, a larger return. And so when you have more of the bells and whistles, and 
Look, this has been going on for what? But, but of the new stadiums that have been built recently, I know Minneapolis was publicly financed, at least in part. Vegas is being publicly financed. But Los Angeles is completely privately financed. And Santa Clara was privately financed. The threat of moving a team to Los Angeles doesn't exist anymore. This team doesn't have anywhere to go. Well, a couple things. I mean, uh, you're right about that. First off, take California out of the equation. They generally do not invest public money into stadiums. I mean, there are some exceptions. but Imagine that, the taxpayers. I mean, the A's would have... You know, right. I mean, the yeah. Raiders would have stayed in, in Oakland. Yeah. So th- that's one thing. And, and I'm not arguing in favor of, of one or the other. This is just sort of yeah. what I see out there. Uh, I, I would also say that, you know, when you're talking about uh, California's off the table, remember, all you need is one. So it's almost inevitable that any league can but drum Charlotte up a city. Charlotte is a building city, a growing yeah. city, a city that's become more and more affluent recently. I'm just not sure. I mean, the relocation fee in the NFL is like $750 million or something. Yeah. You're going to buy this team for $1.5, one $1.7, $1.8 and then fork over $750 million just to move cities? I don't think that's realistic. No, I, I would agree with you. I think it's a reach that the team is going anywhere because of those factors with Charlotte, population growth, uh, corporate base, and those kinds of things. But uh, I don't think it's impossible because, remember, when an owner buys a team, nobody's going to come in here and say, I'm gone tomorrow. It, right. it would take probably at least a year for the new owner to figure out, okay, what do I have? What do I want? How can I negotiate? Then you get into the – you know, it would take several years before an owner, I think, would be at the point of saying, all right, well, if I don't get a new toy, then I'm going somewhere else. Uh, but I just mentioned all these things because they are factors and they're things that you have to consider uh, as you look at it from a fan standpoint, uh, for from a corporate sponsor standpoint, and certainly from a local and state government perspective. And it's going to be really interesting to see where that conversation goes. If you're a fan and the announcement comes out in the next week or two and it's Tepper, for instance, is that good or is that bad? I think it's really hard to tell. I mean, I I don't think that any of these three finalists are looking to move the team. I really don't. Now, look, I don't know them. <laughs> right. I'm just going on sort of what I'm hearing, what the whispers are, what the third parties are saying. I don't think they're looking to move the team. I don't think the NFL is looking to move the team. And I think to your point – Charlotte is a growing, strong sports market. Look, they've only had two blackouts. Of course, that's a dated term now, but right. only two sort of non-sellouts. And even if that's a little squishy, you know, all the seats aren't filled. But basically, they're selling a ton of tickets every year. Uh, so they're not in any kind of peril. They're not losing money. And I don't see them going anywhere. But I do think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge when we get into this facility conversation. It's going to be interesting to see the dominoes after this, right? Because the Bills, I think, sold for around $2 billion. $1.4 billion, right? So if the Panthers go in that 2 $2.5 range, what does that do for other owners that have maybe held on to the team for a while and think, well, all right, maybe is this a good time? Does this open up maybe a feeding frenzy among teams trying to get out and have new blood come in? Well, I think it's going to be interesting because the conventional wisdom is there are going to be a number of teams coming up in the near future uh, – the Saints, uh, the Broncos, the Titans are among the ones mentioned. And so 
let's look at this. Do, does a proliferation of available teams drive the price down because you right. have more options? Does it drive it up? Uh, and then you have all these questions. People are going, as strong as the NFL is, people are looking at the NFL differently now, right? Even if you believe that the NFL is going to still be number one, you do have concerns about the health issues. You do have concerns about 20% drop in television ratings, although they're still, you know, light years from any other sport. So I think those things creep into it as well. So it's not the instant, oh, I'll pay anything it takes so I can have a football team. Joined by Eric Spanberg from the Charlotte Business Journal on our bearded podcast, you said that Charlotte is a good sport city. Minor league soccer doesn't draw here. The local NBA team has struggled now for quite a long time. The Panthers are very well supported. And now in this brand new ballpark, the Knights are very, very well supported uptown. But I'm not sure people would say normally an outsider looking in that this is a good sports city. Well, let's let's get into what do we mean by good? I mean, I'm talking about the business side of sports. Uh, I'm not talking about Green Bay Packers tradition. So this is a Sunbelt city. Are the Hornets doing well? The Hornets are business-wise are much, much healthier. Uh, But you're right. uh, They were a shambles. I mean, let's not (laughs) pretend. Uh, You know, when Michael Jordan bought the team, they were shambles for a couple years after he bought the team. Well, and they were were the Bobcats then. And then they had that great opportunity to bring the Hornets name back. And that, I think, has resurrected the business side. Yeah, that was a great move. Uh, They have done well ticket-wise. And I think that's really testament to the strength of the NBA. I mean, to me and to a lot of other people, is there a better commissioner than Adam Silver right now? Is there a league with more stars, with more appeal? They've encroached on the NFL in terms of their year-round sport. Everybody's talking about the free agency and the trades and all those things. So that's a long intro to is it a good sports city. In terms of having NBA for 30 years now, granted there's a little hiccup in New Orleans. And, and uh, not, not good NBA. Not, not good NBA, but in terms of, remember, when Charlotte came in, they were the most successful franchise, sold out 360-odd right. games. Absolutely. Now, that's a different era, but still, you get some credit for that. Uh, it's now a healthy franchise. They're stable. Panthers, healthy franchise. PGA Tour event, obviously very healthy. PGA Championship, very healthy. Uh, NASCAR, in a lot of trouble. I don't think that's Charlotte's fault, but NASCAR's having its issues. Uh, you look at when the NCAA came in, and I'm cherry-picking a little bit here, but They've done pretty well. The ACC Championship's done well. Belk Bowl is a little bit shakier, but the bowl business in general is, is having trouble. So, you know, when you look at that lineup. But the lineup, ACC Championship does well. Yeah, the ACC Championship does well, and certainly the Charlotte Knights. I mean, yeah. talk about uh, worst to first. I mean, <laughs> I think everybody in this room remembers, you know, there were like four people and two hot dog wrappers down there in Fort Mill. So the way that this franchise has rebounded, but it is a Sunbelt City. There are a lot of newcomers. Uh, the, the, fic- the fickle factor is huge here. Uh, so you're going to have those things as well, but I don't think people look at Charlotte and say, oh, no, I'd never go there. Let's look at soccer. We've been talking about the MLS for a long time. We have minor league soccer. I've been to several of those games. They don't draw very well. Memorial Stadium was supposed to be retrofitted five, ten years ago. It hasn't. Now apparently the money is there to do it. They've continued to talk about an MLS team, but the bottom line is the, the current team, the independence, draws flies while the same team in Cincinnati draws 20,000 people. Yeah, that's absolutely right. and That's why I think uh, Cincinnati is probably closer to Major League Soccer right now than, than Charlotte is. 
Um, I think there's, and I'm not making excuses for anybody. You're absolutely right. Soccer, you know, compared to the amount of coverage that I've given it and others have given it, uh, you know, they're a high school football game or something. I, I think a lot of this is the speculation about the potential of soccer and what's really driven that are those exhibition games over at Bank of America Stadium when you had 70,000 people in there for Liverpool the first year. And even the the lowest attended, I think, was right around 54,000, something like that. And, of course, they have a pretty good match coming this summer. So that's what's driving that. And then I think with Major League Soccer, what got the MLS interested is what you were talking about with the Panthers and why they'll probably be here a long time, which is you have all these millennials coming in. You have, uh, what is the number now, 60 people a day are moving into Charlotte. Uh, you have uh, Sunbelt City, all those things going for it. So I, I, I think you're right that soccer has been overhyped in terms of what the support is. I think a lot of people are looking at, okay, what's the potential? What about Memorial? What's going on there? They are going to do that. Uh, 2021, they will move there. That, that's going to be really interesting because that's a pretty stiff test of, okay, you keep saying that if you had a stadium and you were near uptown right. and you have all these young professionals, they would go to the bar and they'd walk down the street and they'd sing the song and wave the scarf and you'd have a full house. Well, let's see if that happens. I mean, I think that's part of what the county's banking on. The county has also, uh, I guess, protected themselves a little bit because they're going to make it a place where they're going to have high school football and all these amateur tournaments and events and all those kinds of things. So they won't fall apart if the independents don't do well, but I think I think soccer will have a huge setback if they don't get in that stadium and really draw well right off the bat. And it's kind of a little bit of a tough location. I know when they were scouting out potential ballpark locations, I mean, that was obviously one that was kind of looked at. And just It is very close, but I think there's still that, at least coming to a Knights game or coming to uh, going to Hornets or going to Panthers, there's an ease of coming in out of uptown and even though it's just outside of Uptown, it's just far enough away, yeah. I think, that it's... That it's not pedestrian-friendly. I yeah. mean, and Charlotte's not a pedestrian-friendly city. There's not a lot of parking around there either, except not for a lot CPCC, of parking. but right. you know, you're sharing that with the... With and the again, and look, I, as you know, I'm from the, uh, the, the swamps, the murky bayou, so I don't know a lot about soccer, but the bit I do know is that it's the ritual, right? right? It, it's the walking to uh, the pitch and yeah. all those things that go with it. Well... If you can't find somewhere to park or you can't cross the road, and I'm trying to think, is it Kings that's in between Uptown and Memorial Stadium? Whatever the big street Kings, is. Yeah, yeah so uh, they got to figure that out. Now, I, I guess they think the streetcar w- will help with right. some of that. I mean, who knows? But you're right. It's not something where you look at it and say, oh, yeah, that 100% will work. It could. Right. But we don't know that. But I think their biggest issue, though, with the MLS bid, in my opinion, just from talking to people, I think there were a lot of people on the soccer side, soccer community, that were supportive of it. But I don't think there was enough mainstream support to put public dollars. And I think people, rightly or wrongly, look at the Smith family and say, hey, they could just write a check for this. Why do we have to put any money in? I think that's absolutely right. I, I think that the, Marcus Smith's group also struggled with navigating the local political scene, for lack of a better term. Uh, I think there were all kinds of things going on there. I also think that was a pretty hefty request. Uh, you know, it was uh, not only some a lot of public money in the stadium, but then they were going to front Marcus Smith a lot of the money that the team was contributing, and then they would repay it over 25 years through a lease. And I, I think the league did them no favors. Remember how this all started? It started uh, in, in December. Well, they kind of did a competition too, right? right? Like it was a bunch of cities and – you but, know, oh, oh, we're, we're allowing you to bid on this. Yes, and, and it started in December, and then the deadline was January 31st. Yeah. And, I mean, when you're dealing with 
pretty much anything, but certainly when you're dealing with local government trying to come up with a, a package and a funding, even if everybody wants to do it, I mean, that was very demanding. And then the MLS kept moving the deadline. They still haven't awarded the second team. Right. Remember, they were supposed to have two teams. So I think the thing was muddled all the way around. Uh, Marcus Smith has said in recent months they, they want to continue to pursue this because, remember, there will be two additional teams awarded. I don't really know where soccer is going. I, I get the sense, though, that MLS is legitimately interested in Charlotte, but they're not going to go anywhere without public money in a stadium because they want that precedent that you see in the NFL, NBA, and so on. If you look into the Magic 8-ball, 10 years down the line, what does the climate of Charlotte sports look like? Do we have a new Panther stadium? Are the Hornets still here? Is there soccer? What does it look like? I would say to start, the Hornets are definitely still here. I would say that the Panthers in 10 years, if they're not in a new stadium, it's determined what the path forward for a new stadium will be. Uh, And then I I know I'm going to get crushed on this one because ever since I've been here, people have said five years, 10 years, and certainly in this building, I know no one wants to say that Major League Baseball will come or maybe a lot of people don't. But I I do think that Charlotte is getting to that point. It's about two and a half million uh, metro population where, and you, you heard Rob Manfred now, even if it's just a stalking horse throwing out Charlotte's name, you know, as to go back to your point with the Panthers, there are only so many places to go. So I think eventually Charlotte is going to have to be in the conversation for either a relocation or an expansion team. So I think in 10 years, you're probably having that conversation. But the logistics of that would be very difficult. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they can convert BB&T Ballpark no. into a major league stadium. It would have to be. There is a conversion possibility, but it would be uh, – you'd have to take out some streets. It, 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 and it would probably – mean most of this ballpark would be torn down and redone. So, I mean, the yeah. site could work, but, it, again, you'd have to probably take out 4th Street, Mint Street. I, it, it's yeah, no, I, I mean, I think they would – let's just say, okay, MLB's coming, whatever. All these it probably have, wouldn't be right on this It spot. wouldn't be here. I think this would be knocked down. Uh, and, you know, I think if people get – jittery about that and say, well, they, they just opened the stadium. Well, remember, this is year five. Uh, and Right, 10 years from now, you're 15 years yeah. in. That being said, I don't know what the Knights average. 8,000 people, maybe? 85? No, it's uh, in the nines. Okay, yeah, 9,000, right. 9, 9,500, whatever it is. I know they've been the, the top drawing team in yeah. minor league baseball for four of the last five years or something like that. But it's a big difference between averaging 9,500 and what does a major league baseball team need to average to support themselves? 25. Maybe. That's true. Absolutely. I I think a a couple things on the baseball conversation. First of all, I don't really put a lot of stock in how a city supports minor league league baseball to judge how it will support. But Buffalo would have got a team 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Buffalo would be the epicenter of of major league baseball if that were the case. So uh, I, I don't think that that's crucial. I do agree with you, though. Obviously, you're talking three times as many people. But remember, all of these sports leagues and teams really first and foremost, survive on media rights. So whether it's right. streamed or whether it's the right. traditional... Well, that's a great question. The TV market. There's only one professional sports team in town that has a local TV contract, right? Because the NFL, you don't have a local contract. Right. You have a national contract. So the Hornets have a local contract. How, how are the ratings? Their ratings have not been good. And here's the conundrum about sports and television. So they just signed a new deal that's worth... Probably it's probably 50% more uh, per year than what they were receiving because it's that limited live content. And even if it's not doing huge numbers, the fact that people will watch it when it's happening, uh, that it's pretty steady and reliable, 
keeps these things afloat. That doesn't mean it's infinite, but I do think, you know, certainly with a baseball team, y'all know this. I mean, 162 games. Uh, summer content. Summer content. Summer con- now you're talking about maybe a, uh, a channel because you, know, you could you could do yeah. combo the Hornets and the yeah. baseball uh, team. And you're you, so you're talking about a regional sports network, either team owned or owned Bob by Bob TV. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that would be, and that's why I mentioned the size of the market first of all. If it's two and a half million now, and you get to three, three and a half million, I mean, you're talking about a, an area that could have Major League Baseball. I mean, I'm not saying that it's definite. I'm just saying that I think it's becoming less of a silly pipe dream. Bearded Carcast, Dave Friedman. I am Mike Pacheco. Eric Spamberg from the Charlotte Business Journal joining us here. We wanted to uh, kind of get into the golf too, because obviously you just had the Wells Fargo Championship here. In Charlotte, and I think they call it the ninth major. <laughs> well, what's, what, like we had, well, we the had this discussion. Major. No, because a lot of a lot of Charlotte people boost it uh, yeah. into the uh, higher echelon. Yeah. And as uh, a, Dave likes to point out, there's some other tournaments. Well, there, there, there is well no too. fifth major. There are four events that anyone give a hoot about, and everything else is a fun, good time yeah. had by all. But if there was a fifth major, it would be more the event this week, this week than last right. week. And then you've got but Arnie's been tournament, kind of the and then you've got Jack's tournament, yeah. then you've got the match play and the Ryder Cup, and you have the tournament out in phoenix with all the people kind of like a frat party you've got pebble beach like it's a great tournament here we all have a good time when we go but don't give me the all the players care about this one more that's ridiculous are you saying charlotte is a blatantly chamber of commerce town it just doesn't make any sense no i mean you're absolutely right of course it's you know i yes (laughs) the ninth major i think is a great way to describe it uh but it is a strong event. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the players do like, I, and again, I'm, I totally agree with you. I'm not saying that, like, they come to Charlotte and say, whew, man, this is Augusta and then Charlotte. I don't think that. I don't think anybody else Did really you know that, that the Augusta National of Frisbee Golf is the course at Winthrop <laughs> University? Look it up online. I'm not joking. I did not know that. It is. See? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big event. Big See? event. There you go. Um, but are you asking me whether the tournament will continue or? Well, of course it's going to continue. Yeah, right? I mean, well, yeah. now there's a sponsor issue, right? Because the, the contract's up, I think, after this year or after next year? After next year. As, so yeah. Wells Fargo is supposed to decide at the end of this summer whether they go forward and and uh, as you probably know, the President's Cup will be here in 2021. Right. So I don't know if you could do both those events in the same year, which means you may have to go to Wilmington or somewhere else. And then no one has said officially, but it looks like 2025 will be when the PGA Championship comes back again. So you have that to factor in. But Charlotte loves golf. I mean, you, you go out to that tournament and you can tell. And, of course, uh, they got a nice little boost this year. With Tiger Woods yeah, coming back. Yeah. Uh, and endorsing it after the fact. And endorsing it after the fact. And they have a new management group out there, so they're motivated to try some new things. But <laughs> to your point, yeah. I mean, it, it is it's hard successful. to say. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. very successful. I, I didn't mean, see as many courtesy Mercedes around this No, time. you didn't. Uh, they yeah. cut that back to about a, a third of the field. So uh, they're pinching some pennies out there, but pinching pennies is relative at Quail Hollow. Uh, it's a very healthy event. I don't think it's going anywhere, and I think it's a perfect event for Charlotte. I mean, I, I just think time of year, uh, look, uh, probably half the people out there are just looking at the houses and having something cool to drink and maybe realize that uh, Rory McIlroy is wandering around. So, 
Before we let you go, is there anything like a golf major, which we saw for the first time last year here in Charlotte, that you could foresee coming here? Again, maybe not next year, but in five years or 10 years. I mean, we always talk about the Super Bowl. I don't think anyone thinks there's enough hotel rooms or infrastructure to do that. If there was a new stadium, maybe. But what's the next big thing? I think it would be a stunning upset, but they might try it again, and who knows, maybe they could pull enough strings to maybe convince someone to have a college football playoff game here. Mm. You know, now that's asking a lot because you got some really nice, sunny places, tourist-friendly places. But I think they made a decent impression when they when they went after it a couple years ago. And I think maybe if you have a new NFL owner who's really motivated and you you either – let's just assume you make some – pretty uh, significant improvements over here to the stadium. Maybe that's something that Charlotte could sneak in and get in the next 10 years. Um, Or maybe that's just the college football fan and me hoping that they could do that. Anything we uh, didn't cover that uh, you've had on your mind that you want to get off that you can only share with the Bearded Carcast? You guys are very thorough, very thorough. What I'm going to do, of course, is go back and listen to those 22 episodes again and see what I can learn. Mike used to say that I was the person that listened to the Bearded Carcast more than (laughs) anybody else. I just hope I didn't ruin your listenership, your popularity, anything like that. Well, no, if Jeff Schwartz and Bill Voth and uh, Darren Gant haven't done that, then I think think you're in pretty good company. (laughs) But thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, thank Thank you, Eric. So that was Eric Spanberg here on the Bearded Carcast. You can follow along at Bearded Carcast. And please, uh, we didn't get to the mailbag this week. We will next week. Send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. For Dave Friedman, I'm Mike Pacheco. Thanks to Eric Spanberg. And thank you for listening.